The fact Dwight Howard was the only one that went, I think, speaks volumes to how good the party was. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to There's a Lot Going On, David Oreo, Tom Shively. Tom, it's the return of the number one show on podcasting. Everyone knows it. Everyone's been waiting for this moment. Tom, as always, got to know, how are you doing? Uh, it's been, what, maybe seven months? You know, we had to, uh, you know, take care of some things, obviously social distancing for a while, but, you know, we're back. We're back in business. I'm doing pretty well. About to be September. That's a weird feeling, but... You know, we're, we're trying to have a good time. So hopefully bringing the podcast back, a little bit of normalcy back to life. So we'll see how that goes. Listen, we're here for a good time, not a long time. And if coronavirus has taught us anything, we got to do what we want in this uh, brief time that we have. But uh, Tom, we, we kind of discussed, I kind of want to just put it out there for the audience. The show's going to be a little bit different. We're trying to do things a little bit differently than we did before. Um, mainly we want to have more guests, which this show does not have, but we want to try and have more guests to incorporate as many people into the chaos that is, there's a lot going on as possible and just, you know, kind of be a little more relaxed than we were before. I think we were, uh, trying a little bit too hard to replicate what we had in college and it just, it doesn't work. It's not the same feeling because we're remote now as, you know, obviously that's just obviously different than it was in college. Not a live show, anything like that. So, so there's there's a few differences. Um, I think the newer way to do it, uh, definitely more relaxed. I think it was supposed to be an enjoyable experience. Shouldn't feel like I, th- I think our previous format kind of felt like we were putting too much stress onto like getting it perfectly. And this, I think, is more more relaxed and just more indicative of how we actually are. So that, that that's why I'm excited for this new iteration of There's a Lot Going On. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think with that, we should just jump right into it. And what is more uh, relaxed than social justice? Am I right, Tom? What, what could be possibly more relaxed than that? Uh, so we start, and this will be the only thing we talk about today, is the NBA. Um we're going to focus on the NBA, but I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the social justice movements that have been happening in the NBA. So a quick recap for those who might have missed it. The NBA basically almost had their entire playoffs canceled after the shooting of Jacob Blake right in uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, close to things about an hour from where the Milwaukee Bucks play. Um, and so some players decided they were going to boycott that Bucks game. It sounded like George Hill was a big voice in boycotting that game. Uh, they boycotted that game. All games that day ended up were boycotted, to which, Tom, I don't know how you feel about this. I was a little confused by the way the NBA handled it, where they're like, we're suspending the games for today. And it's like, no, the players told you they weren't going to play, and that's how it was at that point. I I don't really know what the NBA does there. They I don't know what you can say if you're the league um, other than I think it was a gesture to try to be supportive of the players, but they have a whole other legal issue. I think if the players boycott and they're, you know, at the end of the day, they're a corporation and they're trying to avoid anything like that. So it's not surprising what they did. Um, I mean, and that was one of the whole you know, requests of the players as they go down to the bubble when it started was, you know, we want to try to bring more awareness to social justice issues. And you have, you know, the 
smaller gestures by the NBA, like Black Lives Matter on the court and, you know, uh, putting names or, you know, phrases, slogans, whatever you want to call them on the back of players' jerseys if they want to. And I think those are nice to raise awareness, but, you know, that only does so much. And there's frustration when the same things are happening over and over again in America. And it feels like none of these issues are changing, even with all the protests and all of the demonstrations and going around in practically every major American city and even, you know, smaller towns, like even, you know, I'm from central Pennsylvania now and there's towns that are mostly conservative that are having rallies, you know, to support black lives matter. And in that sense, there's stuff that you haven't seen before that these issues are finally coming to justice. But in terms of the way the NBA handled it, I think they could have sided a little bit more with the players. Yeah. I I think, I think looking at it now, uh, just to kind of continue the recap a little bit, you know, the NBA has a meeting with, they call them governors now. I didn't realize that until this whole thing happened. They don't call them owners, but it's the NBA owners. They own these franchises with the owners, the players to kind of determine what they would do going forward. Um, it looks like they are going to be focusing more on player-led initiatives and they want to get the owners to fund those. Um, all the owners have committed to at least trying to make every NBA arena a polling place, which I don't know how this works for every team. I know for the Sixers specifically, I saw that the owners don't own the arena. Comcast does. So they have to work something out with Comcast. Uh, I don't even know if that's going to work because the Eagles have already said that the link is going to be used as a polling place. So I don't know if you can have two polling places that close, how any of that really works. But that's what they got out of that meeting. They continued the NBA playoffs. And... I think for the players, though, it kind of highlights something that has been largely ignored with, because of how well the bubble has gone. The, the bubble's been so great, both viewing-wise and in terms of safety, because they haven't had any positive tests since that initial wave of tests. I, I think it kind of ignores something Paul George has talked about now, and now you're seeing it with these players. They are mentally exhausted dealing with not only being away from their families, but now yet another police shooting. And it, I think is put it's putting on full display how tough it is to be black in America. Yeah, and I think in a regular season, um, you don't see any kind of boycott because these players, you know, have an opportunity to step away from basketball when they're not at the arena and spend time with their families, kind of like what you were hitting on. But being trapped there, and you mentioned Paul George, you know, who's didn't play well for a stretch of that series. And, you know, what else are you going to do rather than look on your phone and naturally go to Twitter and do whatever, see all these people, you know, questioning your ability if you really are a top 10 player in the league, whatever it may be with him. So that does wear on you mentally. And there's no outlet to take it to that is away from basketball. So I think those issues combining and just kind of piling onto each other is, is a source of a lot of frustration and, again, kind of feeling like nothing is getting done. It's just the same story over and over again for black Americans. And it's hard to view it any other way than that right now with we keep having these situations. I I think at this point too, if you're the NBA, you are the most socially forward, if you will, league currently and the most socially conscious. And I think you need, and they've started to get this, but you need a commitment from these billionaire owners to do something about this because you have a guy like Tillman Fertitta, owner of the Rockets, a very well-known conservative supporter of the president. Uh, At some point, the players are going to 
start asking, why should I play basketball for this man who does not have my best interest at heart? And I think if you are Tillman Fertitta, not only is it good for you, the businessman, to start standing up for these issues and putting your money where your mouth is, but to actually, you know, start to start to just do anything. I, I don't think someone like Tillman Fertitta has really done anything outside of this past couple of weeks that shows he cares about his players. It's time for these owners to step up to the plate. This is their opportunity. And, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks ownership group has been doing stuff, I feel like, for a while that hasn't really been talked about. But they're one of the most socially left ownership groups that are currently in the NBA. And it's on the other 29 owners now to do something about this. And I've been reading a lot about how Michael Jordan has been a strong voice in these governor's meetings. And that's nice that he's doing that. But I mean, he he needs to be that. He needs to be doing that. Because if he's not going to do it as a former player and saw the way it has impacted how we talk about him socially, I don't know who will. And I, I, I just want more from the owners. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I'm kind of rambling. I want more from the owners. And I think where we've taken steps, but we still need a lot more from them at this point. Yeah, and I think it's hard to kind of envision the next step from the NBA. A quick shout out to the WNBA too for they oftentimes are even ahead of the NBA on a lot of these issues, you know, they're going as far as putting victims' names on the back of the jerseys. You know, they've been several players, you know, opted to sit out of the season. Uh, Maya Moore is someone who comes to mind for her just extensive efforts on fighting social justice, sitting out a whole WNBA season for that. That's very admirable. And I, I think it actually takes something like that in the NBA where you have a, you know, top 20, top 10 player even that goes, hey, I'm not comfortable doing this. I... I'm going to sit out this season. And I think, you know, you bring up the point about the owners. They can, you know, donate to causes, set up polling places all they want. But until the actual product on the basketball court is affected by it, which we saw a little bit with the boycotts, I don't know if there's meaningful change until someone comes out and says, I'm not going to play. And, you know, ticket revenues start to hurt for that team. And, you know, league interest starts to hurt if it's a big player. I think that's when you see change, which is frustrating because those are all financial implications that are forcing the hand of owners. But I don't know if these owners actually do anything until something like that happens and maybe it never will, which is frustrating, but that I don't see any kind of change until they legitimately decide not to play. I think the interesting thing with Maya Moore, and this is kind of why I want to end this. I think what people don't realize with her sitting out a season, that's the equivalent of LeBron James or Kevin Durant mm-hmm. saying, I'm going to fight for social justice and I'm not coming back to the league until things are better. And if LeBron James said, I am not playing the NBA season next year, the ratings would plummet in the NBA the same way they have every single time he leaves a market he plays in. The ratings plummet. The fact that as soon as he went east to west, the east ratings went down. And he he holds, I think the players as a whole now realize this, but LeBron James specifically has such a grasp over the league 
that whatever he wants is gonna happen. I think the dangerous thing for LeBron specifically is he wants to be an owner one day and he needs to start thinking about if these things he's doing are gonna hurt his chances at an ownership. But I think if you're LeBron James and you really wanna create serious change, you can't care about that. You have to be fully focused on bringing about that change any means possible. I just, I, you know, the two faces of basketball i think in our generation have been kobe bryant and lebron james and both of them have causes that they are very passionate about for kobe it was you know advancing the women's game obviously with his four daughters uh gianna uh playing very well you know he was kind of a catalyst that women's basketball needed and it's really unfortunate for them that he's now gone uh, and LeBron, obviously, with his I Promise school, you know, trying to restore voting rights for a lot of these people, giving them chances to vote, uh, specifically Black Americans. My point is the faces of the league are are pushing these initiatives, and you don't see that in other sports. And I think there's something to work around there that the NBA can build off of because you have these stars that you've done such a good job of marketing, but now focus more on with LeBron now pushing the issues that he is supporting and show that you stand with him. I think that's kind of the first step towards meaningful change. Yeah. I mean, if the league isn't going to stand behind its biggest star since Michael Jordan, they're not going to stand behind anyone. So we, I completely agree with you. So with with that said, I I think we've kind of set our piece on that, made our thoughts very clear. Uh, Before we move on, I just want to say, I think I speak for both Tom and I uh, in saying that we support the Black Lives Matter movement. We support basically any protest that is currently happening uh, in support of the advancement of the rights of African-Americans and minority groups in this country, uh, arrest the police officers who killed Breonna Taylor. And I want to see some real meaningful change going forward in this country. And, you know, I expect everyone who listens to this podcast to be voting in two, three months, whenever that is happening. I'm trying to, it's two months, I think, from like a couple of days. Little, a little over two months, yeah. So I expect everyone who listens to this podcast to be out there voting when that time comes. Uh, moving on to much less serious, much less, I would say, in some ways important topics. Uh, we'll start with the Denver-Utah series that is currently going on. Uh, I just can't believe this is happening. Utah at one point seemed like they were in commanding control of this series, you know, up 3-1, have now had two opportunities to close this one out but i mean outside of donovan mitchell nobody on the on the jazz has given them anything and denver i mean jamal murray's been on a tear he's had five total turnovers these last three games that's just an absurd stat for a guy who's scoring 50 plus in two of those games um tom we'll we'll start with this series you know they have a game seven coming up tomorrow we're recording this on a monday so when this comes out the game is going to be played tonight um if Utah blows this 3-1 lead, who do we blame? I, like, whose fault is it? First of all, I, I don't want to let you off the hook for not giving the Utah Jazz any chance in this series. Uh, with yeah, I mean, I'll give you credit because we didn't know how long Conley was going to be gone. He missed the first two games. I want to say he was back for game three, uh, taking care of the birth of his child. But to me, it's, it's Rudy Gobert because you've got two stars and, you know, clearly Mitchell and Gobert are your best players. and there's no way in my heart that I can blame Donovan Mitchell for the Jazz collapsing with how solid he's played. I think he's averaging somewhere around 35, 36 a game. And 
you know, he's been, we talk about how good Murray is. Mitchell's been matching him every step of the way this entire series. So it, it has to be Rudy Gobert to me for if they, now granted if Mitchell throws a clunker in game seven and, you know, scores seven points on two of 18 shooting, then yeah, maybe you can blame Mitchell, but it's got to be with Rudy Gobert inside. And it's tough for me because I've always viewed the jazz and the nuggets as very similar teams. I think Mitchell is a little bit better than Murray, and I honestly think Gobert is a little bit better than Jokic in some sense. So they both play in the Rockies. You know, there's a lot of similarities to them, and I I think the Nuggets are the better team and should win Game 7, and it'll fall on Gobert if they lose, if the Jazz uh, lose. So the, the thing with Gobert that is a little confusing for me is he gives you nothing on offense, really, that isn't a rim runner. He's a rim runner. That's all he does yet if you watch him on defense these last couple games i don't know if you've noticed this his defense hasn't been good like people are not afraid to go at him this series and just you know attack him at the rim which is where he's supposed to make his money and the fact that's where he's been bad should be extremely concerning for the jazz and i just i don't know if they can win with Rudy Gobert. And I think he's a good person to, to point at. I also think some of this blame has got to go to Quinn Snyder. I, I think as good as Quinn Snyder is as a coach, and I really like Quinn Snyder, if they end up losing this series, that's an indictment on the coach on some level that you couldn't win one out of the final three games. It's the same way I said it was probably a bit of an indictment on Steve Kerr when the Warriors lost 3-1. It was a bit of an indictment on... Who was the coach for that Thunder team? Was that Billy Donovan? Billy Donovan, yeah. Like I, it's as good as coaches as these guys are. If you can't win one of three, that's on the coach on some level. Uh, I also think roster construction for the Jazz is not that great. I, I, they don't straight like you watch the Jazz play, and I feel this way about the Nuggets too. There's nothing modern about their games. Like they don't feel like modern NBA basketball teams. The Jazz specifically. It's like you got a bunch of white guys who really can only shoot, and then you have Donovan Mitchell, who's a freak, and Rudy Gobert, who's a good rim protector, but not even consistently. So, like, consistency is an issue with that team. I just, both these teams are perplexing to me, and I I don't, I have no idea who's going to win game seven. I lean Nuggets, but it, I mean, it could really go either way. I'm going to, I'm going to say Nuggets. I picked the Jazz before, but uh, I'm, I'm picking the Nuggets to win Game Seven. So, so uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but I mean, Jamal Murray has been going crazy. He scored 50 points twice in this series, same as Donovan Mitchell. They're only the third and fourth players in NBA history to score 50 points in a series. The other two are Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson. So, pretty great company. Um, is do you think Jamal Murray? I feel like we talk a lot, or have talked a lot, about Jamal Murray being a step below being a star. He wasn't quite a star yet. Do you think he's there now? Is he now a star? If he wins tomorrow night, it's going to be one of the best playoff series performance in the history of the league. I don't know if that's enough to catapult him to stardom. I think Denver's kind of slept on as a whole because we view them as, you know, they're kind of a regular season juggernaut and then they fade in the playoffs like last year they struggled against san antonio they end up losing to portland in seven games jamal murray was not good in that series but that was only his third year and you know this is still only his 
fourth year. So he's got time. I think if the Jazz, if the Nuggets rather can win tomorrow night, he is going to be viewed as it's going to have a huge impact on the way he's perceived because it'll, you know, it'll validate that clutch gene that he has. Cause you know, game one and game five specifically, he was everything in the last five minutes of that game. And they were down big in the second quarter of game five, you know, it was back and forth, obviously goes to overtime in game one. He's the reason they won both of those. So he's a guy that can clearly win you playoff games against a team. That's just as good as you. And that matters. I think him playing in Denver isn't going to help his cause, but he will be a star if they win. Am I wrong in in this percent? Like Nikola Jokic hasn't been that great this series, right? Am I am I crazy to think that he he to me has always been talked about as the Nuggets' best player, and like people say it like it's not even a question, like oh it's Nikola Jokic. But first of all, I don't think bigs win you playoff series anymore in this league, and if they have even for a long time. But I I just don't see from Nikola Jokic this series what I've seen from Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, to me, has all the potential of perennial all-star. I don't see, you know, superstar written on him. But perennial all-star, I could totally see out of him. And Nikola Jokic, I think, because he's a good passer, has been kind of overhyped to this point, where Jamal Murray hasn't gotten any of the credit for how good the Nuggets are. I think Jokic is playing kind of at where we expected him to play. And Murray is far ex- I'd say Murray, in terms of the bubble, is the player that's most exceeding expectations. And Jokic, I think, is still averaging like 15 and maybe 7, 8 rebounds. So it's not like he's you know putting clunkers out there. But I think the way Murray has played has kind of overshadowed him. But it's hard to argue that Murray is not the best player on the Nuggets right now. It's hard to argue that. But like, is so like you mentioned, like you know, Jokic. We think I'm gonna check it right now, but is averaging like 15 and eight or whatever. Let's say those are his numbers. That's not star numbers. Like the other, maybe it's just me. The other in the win the other day, he had 22. Uh, nine and nine assists and three steals. So he played well. He just, I don't, nothing about Nikola Jokic says star to me that I, I just. He's actually, he's averaging 25. That's on me. He's averaging 25 points and uh, like 7.2 rebounds. So I had the rebounds right, but I was 10 points short. So 25 is really solid. Uh, it actually says here points per game versus Utah is 29.3. I think that's for the season. So he kind of has been. He's been dominating Rudy Gobert, so another indictment on Rudy Gobert. I just, I don't know. I think there's something about Nikola Jokic I'm missing, and I'm not quite sure what it is, which is all to say I think Jamal Murray is the best player on the Nuggets. He's he's unconventional. He's interesting to watch, Jokic. He kind of plays like YMCA basketball, which I've always admired to some extent from him with the one-legged fadeaways. And, the, you know, he's not in peak physical condition, and, you know, he's kind of, He's a little funny looking, so I always he's kind of a enigma of basketball to me. He doesn't fit in the modern game, but he does. This is my last thought on Jokic, but why do we celebrate him not being in shape, but destroy Embiid for not being in shape? I I, I mean I'm I'm just I'm just putting it out there. We we celebrate the, the food for thought. We celebrate the tubby white guy, but 
the out of shape African guy, we, we kind of kill every chance we get. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. You can make of that what you want. Um, Tom, we've talked about them a little bit, but you know, I think we both think Denver is going to win the series. If Donovan Mitchell is a star, and I think we agree he is, what is Utah missing? Because this was a team before the year started I thought could make the conference finals and have not even come close to living up to that expectation. I think Utah, very much like Denver, is missing a knockdown shooter. And you had that with Bogdanovich this year. And he's gone for the Jazz. So I'm going to give them a little bit of a pass because they you know, are only one game away from getting to the conference semifinals. And I think if they have Bogdanovich, they can give the Clippers a pretty decent run for their money. And so I, I don't think they're that far off from that conference finalist window. Last year, I think they lost to Houston in the first round. I think the year before, they actually made it to the second round. Uh, lost to the Warriors. They might have played the Rockets again two years ago. I'm not entirely sure. I could check on that. But they're close. And I think, you know, they have... Obviously, they're in the same conference as the Warriors and now the Lakers. So, you know, you kind of have to temper expectations for teams a little bit in the West. But if they have a knockdown shooter, I think Mitchell and Gobert are enough to build around that and contend in the Western Conference. I don't think they're that far off at all. I mean, do I don't even think they should keep Gobert, though. Between between the 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 covid thing where he not only got, I assume, Donovan Mitchell sick, but potentially some of those reporters that were there with his shenanigans. I, I, we haven't talked about this at all. I think the relationship between Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert is unrepairable, and Rudy Gobert's got to go this offseason. And when you do that, I think the question starts to become, who do you get to replace him, and how do you continue to build out this team? And I just don't like a lot of the pieces here. I don't think Mike Conley has fit terribly well with what they're trying to do uh, Joe Ingles I think at times gives you something other games he looks like he doesn't belong on an NBA court uh, Bogdanovich I agree like has a place on this team but like Royce O'Neal off the bench I like him it's it's a really weird fitting team and I just don't see where you build from where they currently are who's a who do you find to replace Gobert like any names kind of jump out to you not really the, because the this is the thing Gobert gives you kind of exactly what you need with Donovan Mitchell like he gives you a rim protector but as soon as you put Gobert in pick and roll which is what the Nuggets have done all series he's a liability he's terrible on the outside and you can't have a guy who can't play in pick and roll in the 2020 NBA and Rudy Gobert is awful in the pick and roll just absolutely terrible so I mean I, I think I've made it pretty clear I don't like Rudy Gobert, but like I don't know what's the better option. I just think there's a lot of pro- I think the team construction in Utah hasn't been terribly great. They got lucky that after they lost Gordon Hayward, they immediately got down to the Mitchell in the draft. But I don't think they've done a lot to help themselves, and I think they've kind of put themselves in a weird spot in terms of what they can do this off season with teams not willing to take on money because of COVID. 
Yeah, they kind of feel like they've hit their peak, and I think the Nuggets still have some room to grow. That's the biggest difference I see between those two teams. Yeah, I think I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there, which allows us to move on to the Eastern Conference, where all the teams have already advanced. The Just a quick first-round recap. The Raptors swept the Nets. The Celtics swept the Sixers, RIP, to the most miserable-to-watch playoff team I've ever gotten a chance to watch in Philadelphia. Uh, the Heat disbanded the Pacers, that's who they played, in a sweep. Didn't they sweep them? They did. I mean, this they gives did. me an opportunity to say, I don't know what they expected from Nate McMillan without his best player, but my goodness, why do we keep firing good coaches because they didn't meet ownership expectations when the Pacers were about as good as they should have been? We got to call them out to the Pacers for throwing in that 3-16 and 16 in the playoffs when they fired him in their little press release because first of all they took LeBron to seven two years ago and I think he I mean he even hit a buzzer beater in game five so like LeBron was LeBron in that series they got swept by LeBron the year before which you know that team went on to play in the NBA finals I think 2017 yeah it was the first year they didn't play him in 16 they lose to the Celtics with no Oladipo last year and then they lose to the Heat with no bonus this year so I'm with you. What do you expect from the guy? I, I actually do think there's a lot of pieces in Indiana and they can, you know, maybe get to an Eastern Conference Finals, but t- tough look for tough look for them firing McMillan. I kind of love Indiana's roster, which is the opposite of how I feel about other teams. I just am not sure if they are a market that's going to get the kind of players they need to win a title. And I think with Indiana, you just need to temper expectations. The fact they were a five seed and... You know, they just got caught in a bad matchup without maybe their best player. I, I don't know what they're supposed to... What is Nate McMillan supposed to do about that? Like, Sabonis wasn't there, which is, argue, I would argue, your best player. What, what he was they, this year. He was an all-star. Like, what, do you, what, what are they supposed to do about that? Like, that, that is not on Nate McMillan. Um, and maybe it's because TJ Warren went off that expectations got elevated. I don't, I don't know. I just... I don't think they should have been expected to compete with the Heat, really. Um, but... Off of that, the Bucks then playing the Heat took care of the Magic in five after that really bad uh, game one loss. Um, Tom, Raptors and Celtics will start there. The series has already started. The Celtics kind of took care of business in game one, so they're already up 1-0. By the time this comes out, they will be preparing for game two. Uh, But Tom, what what were kind of your thoughts, takeaways after that game one win? Um, Siakam had three fouls in the first quarter, so he sat a large part of the first half. I think he picked up his third foul with more than six minutes remaining in the first quarter. So he was on the bench a lot of that game, and that kind of allowed the Celtics to build up that. You know, I think they were up 17 after the first quarter. They were up 19 at halftime. So the second half was just kind of the Celtics keeping the Raptors at arm's length. I, I don't take much from the game because of how badly Toronto shot especially in the first quarter. They just did not get off to a good start. The Celtics dropped 40 there. Um, I think that moving forward, it's going to be interesting to see how well Toronto can handle Jalen Brown is the guy to look for in this series because you can put somebody on Tatum, like Siakam even could could guard Tatum. You got decent perimeter defenders and Lowry and Van Fleet to kind of hedge him off and limit him but Jalen Brown was phenomenal in game one and it, it's going to be hard for the Raptors to 
win this series if they can't contain him because Tatum is, is, is going to do what he does and get to the rim and get foul calls and put points on the board. Um, the, the biggest thing with Toronto is they're not going to score 94 points every game. They're going to be doing better. So can the Celtics hold them off? It, it's a little reminiscent of the Celtics game one last year against the Milwaukee Bucks that they went in and smacked around the Bucks in Milwaukee when Paul Pierce famously declared the series over and then the Bucks went on to win the next four games. So I'm a little apprehensive that there's going to be an overconfidence, but I think this team being a year older and obviously Toronto with their championship pedigree, it's not a team that you think you can walk over. And uh, I, I still see it going seven, despite the Raptors really not having a good game. And you know, even championship teams are going to have off nights. And I do think it was an off day for the Raptors. You know, it's your first game back in about a week. Uh, obviously, a lot of going through all the players' heads. Again, you don't have Siakam. Uh, Ibaka was in foul trouble as well. Lowry has a bad shooting game. So there's a lot of factors there that led to the blowout win. But I, I actually don't take much from the performance. I think the interesting thing slash the thing that Toronto should be concerned about, and it was kind of my concern with them all year, is I don't know if they have the guy, if that makes sense. That guy that you just give the ball to and you ask him to go get you a bucket. The Celtics have that. If under two minutes, you know Jason Tatum's taking the shot. And you know if you need to tie the game, take a lead, Jason Tatum's the guy who's going to take the basketball. Is it Kyle Lowry? Is it Siakam? Is it Van Fleet? I do not know who the guy is for the Toronto Raptors. And that is extremely concerning to me. And yes, you're right. They shot absolutely abysmally. Van Fleet was 2 of 11. I mean, I don't expect 2 of 11 from 3, excuse me. I don't expect that from Van Fleet again this series. But at the same time, Van Fleet should not be the reason you lose a series. If Van Fleet's not playing well, you sh- you have enough guys on the Raptors that you should be able to figure it out. But I think that might be the problem, is they have too many guys and not enough stars. I, I don't even know if they have a true star on this team as much as I like Siakam. The Celtics, I think, are a bad matchup for the Raptors. The Bucks are a great matchup for the Raptors because the Bucks' pure scorer is not a good three-point-slash-outside shooter. Uh, the Celtics pure score, obviously Tatum versus Giannis here, is a good outside shooter and can beat you in more ways than Giannis can, even though Giannis is better in the paint around the rim. And, you know, all of his length and all of that is is obviously better than Tatum's. But I think the Celtics, in terms of how you get that bucket late, is more options than what Milwaukee has. And that's why the Celtics are more of a matchup problem for Toronto. I think the problem... And I just to play devil's advocate, the problem the Celtics are going to have both against the Raptors and if they move on to play the either the Bucks or the Heat, the Celtics, I don't think they're, I think this was kind of a, a strength of theirs all year. And now that we've gotten to the playoffs, we can kind of see it's not, they do not have a lot of depth outside of that starting five. Like I really like their current starting five with, you know, Tatum Walker, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown. I even like Daniel Tice, to be honest. I think he's a underrated big man in the NBA. I'm not saying he's like great. I think he gives you enough though, from what you want from your center. My issue is, you know, they got 10 from Robert Williams this game off the bench. Brad Watermaker every now and then might give you double digits. That is it off the bench. I do not like their bench whatsoever. And I think that could be an issue where it's the complete opposite of the Raptors. Raptors give you nine guys who 
can possibly fill it up off on the stat sheet. And it's why I picked the Raptors to win the series. I'll just put that out there now. I think the Raptors are going to win this series. I agree with you. I think it goes seven. I just, I think the Raptors have the coaching advantage. I think they have the depth advantage. I think they're a better shooting team than the Celtics, even though they shot really poorly in game one. And I think all of that combined is enough to win. And I said this to you in text, but the Raptors remind me a lot of the San Antonio Spurs when the Spurs were at their apex, where you don't necessarily have the guy, you know, not to say the Spurs didn't, because the Spurs had Tim Duncan. I think he is definitely the guy for that team, and everyone fell in line behind him. I just think the Spurs were far more about the system, and it doesn't matter who beat you on any given night. We just need one guy to give us enough, and we as a team are going to play so well you can't beat us. And that is what the Raptors are trying to replicate to me, is they're trying to replicate that Spurs model, and it's why I think they're going to end up winning this series despite their poor performance game one. I think that's a little hypocritical for you because you just came here and said that they can't win because they don't have a superstar, and yet you compared them to that Spurs post-David Robinson pre-Kawhi era that won three titles. So I, I agree with you. They are similar to the Spurs, but I, I, I disagree that they necessarily need a get-the-basket score to win championships. I think the current construction can win a championship. I, I think when you look, though, the last couple of years, every team that wins titles has... It has the guy like the Raptors last year had Kawhi Leonard. The obviously when the Heat were winning, it was LeBron. When the Cavs won, also LeBron. With the Warriors, the one year it was Steph. The other year it was other two years it was Kevin Durant. You know, I, I think. But but you go ahead. I don't mean to cut you off, but you have maybe four players that are available to be that guy that can actually win you a championship and. I think for the Raptors, they're as close as you can be without having, like off the top of my head, LeBron, KD, Steph, and Kawhi are the four guys that I'm thinking but of. But I'm thinking even like... That guy that can go out and win you a championship. I, I'm not saying they need a guy that can win you a championship single-handedly, but I'm talking like they only have like a Jimmy Butler type guy who final two minutes of the game, here's the basketball, go get us a basket. Jimmy Butler was that for the Sixers. People forget this, but last year... Right before Kawhi hit that shot, it was Jimmy Butler who had just hit a shot to tie the game. So uh, I think the Raptors don't even have that kind of guy who is not necessarily A-tier best player in the league potential. They don't have a guy that is top 20 player in the I don't I don't know if they have a top 20 player in the league on this team, but I feel like they have a lot of top 50 players in the league on this team, which is an interesting place to be. And I don't know if that wins you a championship in the modern NBA. But it, they're a very interesting team. If they have a top 20 player, I think it's Siakam. Um, mm. And we'll, we'll see if that is enough to get past a Celtics team that definitely has a top 20 player in the league in Jason Tatum. So we'll, we'll, we'll move on to the Bucks. unless you have any more closing thoughts there. You look like you had something you want to say. Uh, the Celtics front line is awful. That's what we talked about. That was like two segments ago, but they, they're going to have problems with that, especially if they go up against Milwaukee, if they can beat Toronto. I'll leave it at that. Uh, who, do you, who do you have winning the series since I said the Raptors? Or do you want abst- to abstain? I'm picking the Celtics. I'm, I'll abstain. I'll abstain, but off the record, on the record, I'm taking the Celtics in seven. I mean, you. I, I was giving you the opportunity to abstain because you are a, uh, a Celtics fan. You know, don't want to don't have a compromise pick, if you will. 
no, I'm sticking with the Celtics. All right, I, I respect it. Uh, we're going to talk now. Uh, Heat, Bucks. Uh, by the time this comes out, Game One would already have happened, but we have not seen Game One because when we're recording this, so we're just gonna we're gonna talk about the series same way. We're gonna preview, look ahead. Um, I think this is a weird matchup for both teams because I, I don't think the Heat have the size to stop Giannis. But I don't like the Bucks' perimeter defense, which is something you mentioned to me before we started recording. And I, I, I could see this series going either way. Even though I'll just say this from the top, I think the Bucks are going to win in five because they have the star power. I'm, I'm giving Milwaukee six. I think Miami gets two games. Um, Milwaukee's defense is predicated on. Wait, who do you have one in the series? Do not. Uh, Bucks in six. Oh, okay. I'm giving the Heat two games. Go ahead. Continue. Sorry. Milwaukee. Milwaukee's defense is predicated on beat us from outside, and they are you know going to pack the paint. They're going to have rim protectors in there. You know, you got Lopez, you got Giannis. Obviously, that's going to make it a nightmare for a team that tries to get into the paint. Miami is not one of those teams. You've got uh, you know Tyler Hero, Duncan Robinson, Jimmy Butler even can knock down threes. Dragic can knock a three if you need him to. Bam is really kind of the only guy that plays inside consistently for the Heat. And so Myers Leonard too. But they are they are the formula to beat Milwaukee. I just don't know if they're experienced enough, old enough, good enough to actually do it. And that that's kind of where I run into. And who's going to stop Giannis is, is the other side of the question that it's tough to answer. Yeah, I mean, it, if I'm if I'm the Heat, right, you... I think this is a series where this is why you pay Jimmy Butler. If they're going to win this series, it's going to be on the back of Jimmy Butler. And I only think that because I don't think the same way. I don't think the Bucks have anyone to guard Giannis. I don't, or sorry, the Heat have anyone to guard Giannis. I don't think the Bucks have anyone to guard Jimmy Butler. And not to say Jimmy Butler is this incredible player. Yeah, he's a top 20 basketball player, but he's usually not the best player. In my opinion, he shouldn't be your best player on your team. But if that's how you're going to pay him, he this is his opportunity to show up. And I think he has a real opportunity here to prove you was worth that money you paid him. And I think he wants to take that opportunity to show he was worth it. And it will be interesting. I I like the Bucks bench, I think, more than I like the Heat's bench. Uh, the other question with Milwaukee, if Chris Middleton gives you nothing this series and say Bam and Goran Dragic off the bench give you something, then this series gets very interesting because if you just pack the paint and say, hey, Giannis, pass it to someone else, try and, you know, just try. I, I think you run into a very interesting scenario there. And I'm curious. I, I mean, what do you, I don't know how, I have no idea how the Bucks are going to try or the Heat are going to try and defend the Bucks. But my strategy would just be pack the paint. Go ahead. Good luck. Yeah, I think they're going to double Giannis and then give them chances to beat him shooting-wise. I think it's very similar to how the Bucks just naturally play defense and is, you know, kind of beat us from outside. And that that is the formula to beat Giannis. So I think that fits in kind of well to what the Heat do because they don't have a great guy that can actually be long and lanky and and quick enough to contend with Giannis. Like, nobody does, really. So... That that's how you try it if you're Miami. Maybe you reassess after game one. Spolstra, I think, kind of gets slept on because he had LeBron of how good of a coach he is. Um, the fact that this team loses LeBron and 
you know, still are consistently getting to the second round of the playoffs. And, you know, at 2016, I think it was, they took the Raptors to seven games, like kind of out of nowhere. And they were close to making the f- conference finals that year. He's a good coach. And this is a good young team that if they can keep this construction together, there's star power potential there. And they already have a star with Jimmy Butler. So it's, it's going to be fun to watch. I think I'm really excited for this matchup. Yeah, I think this is, I think, I don't think this is, a better matchup than Raptors Celtics personally, but I I think the Bucks, like I said, should take care of business in five. But I mean, I agree. Eric Spolstra is one of the best coaches in basketball and didn't get his credit because he was coaching LeBron. You know, because anyone who coaches LeBron doesn't get their credit. It's not fair, but it is what it is. Um, I I just don't like. I don't know. This is a weird, weird, weird matchup, and. I'm taking the Bucks in five, but if this series suddenly was like, oh, we're in game seven, I, I would be like, yeah, that that sounds about right. I'm not surprised, but I would be pretty surprised. Uh, shifting over to the Western Conference where they don't have all the matchups figured out, but we'll, we'll just kind of preview it best we can. Um, the Clippers have already moved on. The Lakers have moved on, and they're still waiting to see who each team will be playing. We'll start with the Clippers, um, took care of the Mavs. Now they're just waiting to see if they're going to play Denver or Utah. Before we talk about who the better matchup is for them, Tom, I kind of want to talk about, I'm just going to say this. The Clippers outside of Kawhi Leonard showed me nothing that first round series. All I learned was Kawhi is still Kawhi. And that was it. Paul George wasn't very good outside of game five. The, the bench wasn't very good. They didn't play terribly good defense. And after the Mavs lost Kristaps Porzingis, they should have put them away easy. And it wasn't easy. The fact Luka was still ripping them to shreds when all I've heard is they have so many perimeter defenders to guard LeBron. And then they couldn't stop Luka, who currently is not better than LeBron James. He might be in like a year, but currently is not better than him. That is a problem if you're the Clippers, and it seems like they're a team who, night in, night out, half the team wants to show up and play, and by half the team, I mean Kawhi Leonard, and the rest of the team is just like, yeah, Kawhi's got it. We'll, we'll show up another night. The Clippers strike me very much as a team that plays up to their competition, and I, I think if they were playing a team like the Lakers or the Bucks, you would see a more consistent effort from more of the fringe players like a Harrell or a Lou Williams or a Pat Bev, any of these guys. I don't think the Nuggets or Jazz are a team that they view as their equal. And I think they're going to take it a little bit not seriously. And especially if Mitchell slash Murray plays like they are in this current series against them, it's going to be some problems because of all the problems that you just highlighted with them against the Mavs who with Porzingis, you know, probably win game one and maybe win the series. So there's a lot to unpack with the Clippers. I actually think they match better with the Jazz just because I think the Jazz have less ways to beat you than the Nuggets do. So I think the Nuggets can give them a series, but you're right. They haven't showed me a lot that says they can hang with the Lakers. And they've been better in game five and six, but still kind of a small sample size so I'm, I'm not sold on them even though I, I did pick them to win the west yeah I mean I I'm kind of in terms of like I said I like Kawhi Leonard a lot Paul George 
he's back to being playoff P where he is just awful once the playoffs come around. I Lou Williams, I think is really good, but as soon as you put him out there, you're losing something on the defensive end. Patrick Beverly is the opposite. He gives you a lot on defense, nothing on offense. I I just when Marcus Morris is your fourth best scorer on a team that is supposed to be loaded with talent, that's a problem. He should not be your fourth best scorer in a playoff series. And if that trend continues, I do not see any way they can beat the Lakers, even though I think they should be able to dismantle whoever they play in Denver or Utah. Um, to answer the question I had originally posed, the the worst matchup, in my opinion, for the Clippers is oh God, neither neither one's a bad matchup. They're like the same I don't I don't I don't really yeah, exactly. I don't think they struggle with either one of them. They're like the That's same. That's what I was damn saying team. earlier. The Nuggets and Jazz are the same team. Like neither team I'm going to say Denver's the better matchup because at least Utah is Rudy Gobert who you can throw out the rim and say, hey, just stand here and try and keep people from getting here. The Nuggets, what, they're going to put Nikola Jokic out there. He's going to jump two feet off the ground and get dunked on. Yeah, I'm, I'll, I think they'd rather play the Nuggets, but I don't think they're particularly scared of either team and should be able to dismantle whoever they play. The interesting thing is if this is jumping the gun a little bit, but if that's a short series and the LA, I think we're both assuming Houston series. That's goes my assumption. Long because I, I think that's got a better potential of going six seven games. There's only a day off between games in the bubble. There they're not giving you travel days, and obviously there's less wear and tear on the body than you know having to travel to the arena and you know flying across country, flying around the country to go to all these games. So in some senses, maybe it is more of an advantage, even though you lose a day off a lot of times between games when you would have usually had two, but. LeBron James isn't young. You know, if they go a long series with the Rockets and these Clippers, you know, Kawhi and Paul George are, what, 28, 29 maybe off the top of my head. And they would have the advantage, I think, if they can put if they can put the Nuggets of the Jazz down quickly. So that would be interesting to see. But again, that, there's a lot of what-ifs that play out in that scenario. And I think that's kind of the only way that they can beat the Lakers. So if you if you think the Clippers need a lot of what ifs to beat the Lakers. I think that assumes the Lakers are the favorite to which makes me ask who is the biggest threat to the Lakers in the West? And I think we might be in agreement here. I think it's the Rockets because the Rockets pose a ton of matchup problems for them with their small ball lineup. And I think if the Rockets can get out running and play a really fast-paced basketball game, I don't know if the Lakers could hang with that, especially now that they don't have the perimeter defenders. Granted, I would still take the Lakers, but I think that series would have some legs and would go six or seven games. The Rockets were really the only team in the West that held a candle to the Warriors. And it's because of the way they play offense that if they're clicking, their clicking is almost better than any other team running at their peak in the NBA. It's just so hard to have that many moving parts all be working at the same time. But if they do, best offense in the NBA, and that's going to be a problem for a Lakers team that, yeah, has LeBron and AD, but you worry a little bit about the the fringe players on that team. And someone like Danny Green, I don't trust me to go out and get a lot of buckets late when I need him to in a series like that, that Houston could pose a lot of problems for them. The thing with the Lakers, though, is 
as much pro as many problems as the Rockets would pose, I think if you're the Lakers, and again we're assuming that's going to be the matchup, I all you really have to do is bully them in the paint, which is the kind of game the Lakers want to play anyway. They want to play a slow pick and roll bully ball kind of game because they are so big like they are huge between JaVale McGee Dwight Howard Anthony Davis LeBron James like even their small guys Danny Green's like what 6'6 like their their length is absurd and I, I think if we learned anything about the Lakers they're a great defensive team at times the offense might be a little questionable but hey you got LeBron Anthony Davis so if they give you 70 you're gonna win and yeah. you can confidently say at this point, yeah, I think they might give you 70. And I think they would do that against the Rockets consistently enough to put them away in six instead of seven. But I think the Rockets could, again, it, it could go, I think the Rockets could give them a lot of a lot of trouble, especially if they play more of a Russell Westbrook style series, not a James Harden style series. So I think three of these second round series are going to be really good. And then the Clippers are going to, destroy whoever they play and that's going to be the second round so hoping for some good basketball because there wasn't a lot of it in the first round i mean utah denver was good but the east was horrendous in the first round and you know after game one with the lakers they were like all right we're done messing around so it's i'm looking forward to round two where we finally get you know the teams that deserve to be fighting for the championship yeah it's it's funny because it's going to be like basically all the teams that we kind of thought at some point during the year like yeah these are the teams that are going to be vying for the championship i just think right now if you stack it out the lakers are above and beyond the favorites to win right now and i i just they look like a matchup problem for every single team i just don't see any team matching up with them well and they would completely buck the trend of what's been happening where they would play a lot of pick and roll and not shoot a lot of threes, which no other team in the league is doing right now other than the Lakers. I mean, the Sixers tried it. They just, you know, are trying to post up three guys at one time at any given moment. So it just didn't work at all. But the Lakers, I think, have the formula to be a matchup problem for every team in the league. All right, Tom, let's uh, go to the last segment now. We've changed it up a little bit, but tried and true, we're finishing off this first show with the one, the only, cash or trash. Tom, the topic this week is bubble activities. So bubble activities, you found this one and it's a good topic. So Tom, we're going to start first thing on my list, bubble activities, DJ parties. Are the DJ parties we learned about because of Dwight Howard cash or trash? I think fake DJ parties, it, it's kind of hard to fabricate a club environment, which is what they're going for when you're at family-friendly Disney World. So I, I I like the effort. I see what they're trying to do, but it's trash. We got dudes hanging out the window that like, yeah, if it's on Bourbon Street or something, it looks cool. But when you've got a random reservoir, you're hanging out the Grand Floridian Hotel with you know your beef chops that you just ate five minutes ago and you're not wearing pants trash i'm sorry and i I gotta assume there's no alcohol i I don't know if that's true but that that just feels like a thing the nba would do but like hey they have a big playoff series coming up we can't have them drinking so i'm gonna go trash Uh, the fact dwight howard was the only one that went i think speaks volumes to how good the party was so i'm gonna go that's a strong trash uh tom players had the option to play cards in the bubble playing cards cash or trash 
Um, well, this one isn't bubble specific. I actually, I, I get very competitive when I play cards and I think a lot of, you know, there's a lot of time on the plane and, you know, waiting at the team hotel for these guys when they're on the road in the regular season and the card games get intense. And I think when that's all you're doing, it even ratchets up that intensity and, you know, you could even play against guys from the other team. You know, you're sitting down in the hotel lobby, there's some competition there. So I'm all for the competition. I love it. Cash. Uh, I'm going to go trash on the cards. I just, I I think it can be fun, but for how long is it really that fun? Like at a certain point, you're just like, we're playing the same card game again. I'm losing the same $200 I lost last night. I just, I would be so tired of playing cards in this bubble and just having somebody take my money night in and night out. Tom, table tennis. We all know the game classic some call it ping pong cash or trash i'm going cash i think the san antonio spurs had a whole like march madness type tournament for it um it does fall into your like you can only do it so many times argument uh but but i'm going cash i'm a fan of table tennis i I think it's i think it's a fun activity so cash so i'm gonna go cash on table tennis just because it seems like that thing where it's like, oh, it's not got a quick game of table tennis real quick. And so it, it wouldn't get as boring, I feel like, where cards, you know, you got to sit down and really like, it, it takes some time. Table tennis, you can real quick, you know, hey, 15 minutes, let's play a quick game. And then, you know, go back to whatever you're doing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go cash on the table tennis. Uh, beach volleyball, that was a thing they could play in sunny Florida where it rains every 30 minutes and then it's beautiful again. Uh, beach volleyball. Cash or trash? There's something very humorous to me about very tall people playing volleyball, and I don't know the the specific dimensions of this beach volleyball court, but I would assume the net is not as high as it would be in like a standard beach volleyball match. So I'm just imagining guys, you know, not even jumping to just you know, hammer the ball down and, you know, very uncoordinated guys out here trying to play volleyball. It, it, it's a humorous image to me. So I'm going with cash, but in the sand, like kind of easy to get injured. So maybe people should stay away from that, but I'm still staking with cash. Uh, I'm going to go trash as someone who played volleyball. There's nothing I hate to see more than guys who have no idea how to play volleyball. And just the idea of anyone walking by and seeing this I, I, to see the world's best, best athletes, I would probably argue, look, non-athletic playing volleyball would just be tragic. I, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go trash on uh, the beach volleyball. Tom Goff, the players have the option to golf. I noticed it's not closed off to other people, so I'm a little confused how they can do that safely. But golf, cash or trash? Uh, I saw a video of seven foot five Taco Fall swinging a golf club, and I actually don't think there's a streetlight in the world that is long enough for him to play golf with let alone a golf club um but th- that image in and of itself was was fantastic to me and i'm gonna go cash because i actually think that gets pretty competitive with a lot of these guys that do play golf in the off season too so that that is interesting to me and i love the fact that very tall men playing sports that are not designed for them i.e beach volleyball uh i'm also gonna go cash on the golf for the same reason i think Watching guys who don't know how to play golf is hilarious. Like, if they wanted to televise this, I'd watch it. And I just, seeing, like you said, 
Taco Fall, monster human. Imagine Boban swinging a golf club. Like, that's amazing. They should televise this. I want to watch every single second of this. Charles Barkley can barely swing a golf club, and he's not that tall. I, I'm going to go. Th- that's cash. That would be amazing. Uh, cornhole, cash or trash? Cornhole is a game that I only play when there's an adult beverage in my hand. And Duh. I... Don't imagine that that is the scenario in the NBA. There's nothing that I've seen that points me in that direction. So it, it's a little too tailgatey for me to to be a lot of fun. And you know, Chris Paul's there all the time. It seems like it. Chris Paul at any minor competition to me will make it less fun. So I'm going trash. That's real unfortunate that you said that. I I have nothing to elaborate on. Complete agreement. Cornhole in the bubble is probably trash. Uh, last. But certainly not least, Tom, the NBA players have the option to fish. So fishing, bubble activities, cash or trash. I want I want you to walk us through the whole fishing scenario before oh we my, take the answer. All right, I'm going to give my answer while I do this. It's trash. Tom, they're fishing in what I imagine is a man-made lake. And not only is there like lighthouses and crap in the middle of it, you got to rent these boats that apparently break down according to Matisse Thibel's vlog. And then what you're stranded there fishing for the 12 fish that are probably in that lake that are definitely just put there. So the NBA players can fish like that sounds like a terrible experience. You're not even really fishing. You're half fishing. You're fake fishing that. No, that is garbage on every single level. That is trash. And they should just get rid of this. I got nothing more to say there. I was never that big of a fan of fishing. I cuz I never fished to like actually keep the fish. I fishing for sport like never really did it for me. So it, it it's just not that fun of an activity. You know, you're not on a beautiful lake or anything. You're on a reservoir that there's what chlorine in the water or whatever. So come on. Come on. If you're it's gonna, tacky. If you're going to put something fake like that, you got to put like fake scuba diving. Now that's cool. But, like, fake fishing? Come on. You you could have done so much better than that. Disney has millions of dollars. Billions of dollars. And they went, what's our best idea? Let's buy 30 fish and some rods, and these guys can go out and fish. That's an awful idea. Come on. Bob Iger, we got we to have a conversation. That's awful. Tom, with that glorious moment, uh, the first episode back of There's a Lot Going On has come to a close. Tom, do you have any parting words here before we go don't catch the fish don't eat the fish in nba water you don't know what's been in that water so be careful nba players uh good to be back good first episode had some fun and looking forward to the basketball so hopefully we can get some good guests and keep you guys entertained hey next week uh we're for the first time in the new iteration of there's a lot going on we hope to have a guest don't want to say who that guest is yet just in case it doesn't come through for whatever reason but we are going to try and have a guest. And we'll also be talking about the NFL, the first time we've done that in podcast form. So it's not just NBA anymore. We're going to be talking NFL, trying to get a guest, and that should be fun. We'll have a full NFL season preview, so stay tuned to that. But in the meantime, uh, keep living your lives, everyone. Uh, Rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, a hero to kids everywhere. Um, And he is forever a part of my life for being a part of one of my favorite movie moments in history uh when all the avengers come back in endgame spoiler alert for those who haven't seen the movie 
Uh, so rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman, and we hope to catch you guys back here next week for There's a Lot Going On.